Don't worry about it. Here we are in the book of Exodus chapter 12. So much has happened. The Israelites are imprisoned in Egypt. God has been promising for 400 years to free them. It's finally happened last week. Uh, God slayed the firstborn of Egypt, and Pharaoh finally said the people can go. And here we are. They're walking out, but the battle is not over yet. So check out chapter 12, verse 40. It's amazing. It says, The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Jot this down. Number one, I must believe God's promises. God made a promise and he kept his promise. Now, 430 years went by where people were like, is he going to keep his promise or is he not going to keep his promise? Is he going to do what he said or is he not going to do what he said? Because Pharaoh seems really mad and God did it. And isn't that how we act? Maybe right now you're wondering, well, is God going to keep his promises to me? Is he going to provide for me? Is he? And I'm here to tell you the bad news. No, he is not. In fact, in your life, he is going to, for the first time in all of history, prove faithless. Am I telling the truth? No. Because God always proves faithful. You will not be the single exception, right, in tens of thousands of years of human history. You won't be. He will prove faithful to you. But you have to believe his promises. Jot this down. We see here that he rules the nations. Pharaoh kept saying, no, 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 I won't, no, I won't. And it doesn't matter. At the end, God rules the nations. He does what he wants. He crushed their economy. He crushed their next generation as a punishment for what they did to the Israelite children. He took away their life for a time. He humiliated their gods because God controls the nations. That's great news. It doesn't matter what military might or economic prosperity or cultural sophistication a country has. God is in control. In Psalm 2, 2 to 4, it says this, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. It says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. When I want to laugh, I watch like Jim Gaffigan or somebody, right? When God wants to laugh, he watches C-SPAN. He's like watching Parliament, watching Congress, watching North Korea. And it says, the God in the heavens laughs at the rulers and their plans. I mean, what makes God laugh? Uh, the strongest men and women in the world planning out the future of their country. Oh, oh, oh. As the teenagers would say, R-O-F-L. Uh, roll on the floor laughter. God lets out a huge bellowing chuckle when he hears what nations are planning, especially the hostile ones. He gets quite a kick out of that. He rules the nations. Jot this down. He always keeps his word. He always keeps his word. Check out chapter 13, verse 19. In chapter 13, verse 19, it says this. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here, and they moved on 
from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, and they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. Uh, Joseph was a godly man. You remember Joseph's story? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right? And then Joseph was sold into slavery into Egypt by his brothers who hated him. But then Joseph saved the land from famine. 400 years, you know, before Moses. And Joseph got his kids together before he died. And he said, put up your right hand. All right, so pretend you're his kids. Do it. Put up your right hand. And repeat after me. I solemnly swear to move your bones in 400 years when God rescues the people. All right, all right, the kids are like, Dad is whacked out. All right, that'd be like you sitting down your kids and be like, all right, in 400 years, 2417, I want you to move my grave, okay? Who does this? Joseph knew that God had made a promise that he would rescue the people. To Joseph, it was done. I need two plots of ground. It was that sure. And that's faith. And it says here that Moses brought the bones of Joseph up because Joseph knew it. We learn here that God always keeps his word. God made a promise to Abraham, 2000 BC. He had no kids with his wife, Sarah. He was uh, 90, you know, 99 years old. Finally, he has a kid. God had promised it to him 25 years before. What 100-year-old do you know of that's having a baby shower coming up? God did it. He kept his promise like he always does. And then the promise was that through Abraham's offspring, there would be a blessing to the world. And guess who that was? That's the Lord Jesus Christ would come through Abraham's line. So God is keeping his word, and he does keep his word. He always keeps his word. He wants you to know this book is true, all of it. I must believe God's promises. He rules the nations. He always keeps his word. Jot this down. His mercy and power flow through faith. His mercy and power flow through faith. It was only those who had faith in what they heard and followed obediently that got to see the mercy and power of God. It was only those that walked by faith that fell under the forgiveness of God and were delivered in a mighty form. His mercy and his power flow through faith. In the Old and the New Testament, God's people were saved through faith in what they heard. It says in Hebrews eleven six and without, what's that word? All right, let's say it a little louder. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So there are certain things in life that are impossible. All right, like you can't drink all the water in Lake Michigan. No, you can't. You can't travel faster than the speed of light. You can, I'm a Trekkie too, but that's make-believe. All right? In real life, there's no warp. You can't travel faster than the speed of light. You can't get out of a black hole. If you ever find yourself in a black hole, just remember that I warned you. You're not getting out. It's impossible. Uh, you can't win a chess game after you've been checkmated. It's just impossible. Uh, you can't sneeze with your eyes open. You can't lick your elbow. There are just things that are impossible. Some of you are going to try that later and fail, but it won't happen, all right? And one more thing added to the list of impossible things is you can't 
please God without faith in what he said. Now, it's crucial that you understand the last part of that statement. You can't please God without faith in what he said. Some people have faith in something else. People today will say, well, as long as you believe it, then that's true for you. How many of you have heard people say that before? Well, as long as you believe it, then it's true for you. That's not faith. Faith is believing what God has said. And not all truths are the same. How many of you have heard people say before that all religions basically teach the same thing? How many of you have heard that said before? Well, is that true? Is that true? Not according to this, because God is judging the gods of Egypt, and he's saying their belief system was false, and it couldn't save them. So his mercy and his power flow through faith. Number one, I must believe God's promises. He rules the nations, he always keeps his word, and his mercy and power flow through faith in what he's revealed. Number two, jot this down. I must not reject and oppose God's plans. I must not reject and oppose God's plans. Let's look at chapter 14, verse 5, and read the amazing story of the Red Sea. I'm so excited to read this. It says in chapter 14, verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done? that we have let Israel go from serving us. See, they just lost their labor force. Nobody's working on the pyramids anymore. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots. So that's like special forces. And all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by... Whoa. (laughs) Anyone want to guess on what that word is? (laughs) Pihahirath. I practiced that, actually. So everyone say it. Pihahirath. That's fun to say. Pihahirath in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? This is not what we said to you in Egypt. So these are all the pessimists that are now weighing in. All right, They're free, they're leaving, and they're like, We knew we would all die. We just knew we would all die. How many of you know people, and this would be what they were saying, in this story. Like if they lived back then, they would be the ones who were like, we're all going to die. We're just all going to die. Yeah. All right. They're forgetting everything God has done. And, uh, and here they are. So it goes on in verse 12 to say, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. That must have been a head-scratching moment. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. God talks about it as if Moses was just supposed to figure this out on his own. What are you waiting for? Go do it. Go do what? Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Moses never saw the story of Moses. Okay? He never watched the movie. He never saw Charlton Heston with the beard flowing in the wind. Never saw it. And God's talking to him like, what's the big deal? Get out there and make it happen. 
Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so they will go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So there's like this giant, like, black, fiery tornado with smoke that's preventing the Pharaoh and his army from touching the Israelites. If I were in that army, I would run away. I don't know about you, but I would drop my spear because they've got a giant flaming tornado and we don't. (laughs) Maybe I'm seeing things, but I'm going home. Anybody else going home with me? Like, we don't have that. But not Pharaoh, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. That is amazing. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand, And on their left, thus the Lord saved Israel. It goes on to say they believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Pharaoh shows us that we must not reject and oppose the plans of God. This unbelievable story really happened. It really happened. I I know somebody might be like, "I, I watched the Discovery Channel. And according to them, there was... Oh, this is naturally possible. There was perhaps an, an east breeze. Just stop. All right? Just stop. It was a miracle. All right? If you think somehow naturally this breeze held up walls of water all night long, like, really? Uh, God made the heavens and the earth, and he can do anything he wants with it. There's not like an angel up in heaven with a physics textbook like, uh, you can't do that. That's not permissible. That's a get... Okay, He can do what he wants. If he wants to hold up the water, he can hold up the water, and he did. It's an unbelievable story. We see, though, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh was standing in the way of God redeeming his people. Pharaoh, if he had succeeded, would have prevented Christmas from ever happening. He's like the first Grinch. See, if the Israelites don't escape and start Israel, then there's if if Pharaoh enslaved them all or, heaven forbid, killed them all, there would be no more Israel, and Jesus wouldn't have been born. You need to see that Pharaoh is trying to get in the way of your road to heaven. Have you been following the wildfires in California? How many of you have seen that on the news? And isn't that terrifying? 
So some people got on the road and then got stuck. Check it out. There's pictures of people who are trying to get somewhere, and then the fires break out, and they can't go anywhere. Uh, there, are, there are reports of cars catching on fire because they park, and then the fire gets down to the car and just sets them ablaze. And this is what Pharaoh's trying to do. Pharaoh is trying to cut off the people of God from the plan of God, and God will not allow it to happen. So we must not reject and oppose God's plans, because this is what happens to his enemies. Jot this down. God opposes false gods and false gospels. You can fill that in. He opposes false gods and false gospels. The truth of Christ is a message for the world. It is the way that anyone can be saved from any nation, tribe, and tongue. I told you that yesterday at the night in Bethlehem, I got to be a wise man. And it was so much fun. I had an awesome costume. And I got all dressed. And then uh, my, within 10 minutes of being a wise man, I locked myself out of my office. <laughs> so I went back to my office. And, <laughs> and I, I also forgot my belt. And my belt was in the office. And so I didn't make a very good wise man, did I? <laughs> but what was really cool is, as I was acting this out, I was playing the part of someone who was raised in a totally different country, Persia. I mean, you're talking, you know, months to the east. And, um, and, and yet, what did God do? He found a way to show me, the wise man, the truth of Jesus. And, and then I woke up and saw the star with my friends, and off we went. And our literature and our astrology and our dreams and everything all pointed to what? It pointed to the baby in the manger. It's because Jesus is the king of heaven and earth. There is no other way that we can be saved. Jesus is the only way. Sometimes people get offended when they hear that. Why would you say your way is the only way? Uh, we're lucky there is a way. Do you understand that? We're lucky there is a way. All right? And, and if I'm on the Titanic and it's going down and people are like, we've got one lifeboat, everyone can fit. I'm on that lifeboat. I'm not like, well, I want three options. All right? And I'm not looking at people who are refusing to get in the boat and saying, well, I should try their plan. All right? Uh, praise the Lord there's one way. Praise the Lord there's one way. I must not reject and oppose God's plan because he opposes false gods and gospels. You realize that a false religion, a false teaching, a false prophet is stealing from God. Do you know that? Stealing glory from God because that person... That faith is taking things that are true and robbing God of those things. That's theft. And God will not allow his glory to be stolen by anyone, including Pharaoh. Uh, stealing someone else's glory is kind of like um, blowing out someone else's birthday candles. All right, so if you've got kids and uh, baby brother blows out big sister's birthday candles, guess what happens? You know, the tears fall and we are lighting the candles again. And baby brother's going to his room. Why? Because he stole his sister's birthday moment. You're not allowed to do that. Stealing someone's glory is like wearing white to another woman's wedding and then sitting down in her chair at the head table. How, how would that go over? That's not your place. That's not your day. And how dare you take what is not yours, what belongs to another? Stealing glory is like taking someone else's test and writing your name at the top and turning it in and getting the credit. How dare you? Those aren't your answers. That's not your work. And, a, and another faith and another teacher and another gospel is theft. They are stealing glory from the one true God. And he will not allow it because it's not right. He opposes false gods and false religions. 
Jot this down, and therefore he will defeat all evil. The battle between good and evil, God and Pharaoh, ends with a great fight, and good prevails. We all love a good rivalry, am I right? We all, child of the 80s, Transformers versus Decepticons, right? Uh, you've got Avengers versus Ultron, or uh, who's, the next, who's the next guy with all the rings, uh, or the stones, I mean. Yeah, Thanos. So he's getting all the stones, but he's got one stone. They don't know where it is. And if he gets that stone, then we're all going down, right? So the Avengers better save us before that happens. It's coming out. Uh, you know, you've got, you've got the Jedi versus the Sith. That's coming out pretty soon, too. And these are great rivalries. Uh, but there is a battle in heaven, a war versus good and evil. And it's real. And that battle is spilling over into our world right now. And you have to pick a side. God will defeat all evil. This picture of God's people trapped, um, they can't get out of slavery, they can't escape death, is one big object lesson. There's a truth for you. God's people trapped in slavery who can't escape death shows you your starting point with God. Spiritually, you are trapped in slavery to sin. You can't get out of dying. God has to come and do something to rescue you. Do you understand? They're showing you, the Israelites are showing you a great spiritual lesson. And God has appointed a deliverer, a messenger who you must follow. And that person is Jesus Christ. He is the one who can walk you safely through the waters of death. He is the one who can break you free from the chains of sin. He is the one who can settle you safely in the land of paradise forever. This is one big object lesson showing you the gospel, the good news that God has sent his son down to save you. Do you see what the Red Sea is teaching you? Jot this down. I must trust Jesus to deliver me from slavery. I must believe God's promises I must not reject and oppose his plans. I must trust Jesus to deliver me from slavery. Um, the truth is that in Hebrews eleven twenty nine, it says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. It was their faith in what they had heard and their willingness to follow the divine messenger that saved them. Their faith saved them. Okay? And your faith is all that can save you. Your faith in the risen Lord who died in your place and who rose again. Only Jesus can walk you safely through the roads of death because only Jesus came back safely from that road. All right, and are you trusting him? Are you trusting him to deliver you? <clears throat> Jot this down because I can't escape sin or death alone. I can't do it. I can't escape sin or death. Uh, a self-improvement plan won't work. <clears throat> Doing my best won't work. I need a rescue. And God wants you to be quick to follow his rescue plan because time is short and heaven and hell are forever. He wants you to be quick to follow his rescue plan. Jot this down. Jesus is my only hope of rescue. He's it. He's my only hope of rescue. <clears throat> it says in the Bible that Jesus was actually the one who was with Moses leading the people not only out of Egypt, but through the wilderness. You might ask, how can that be? Well, Jesus said often that he was an eternal divine being. He said at one point, before Abraham was born, I am. 
wait a minute, Abraham lived 2000 BC. How can Jesus say in like the 30s? And I don't mean the 1930s. I mean the 30s. Okay. How can Jesus say in like the 30s that he was around 2000 years before? Because he's divine. And that's why the religious leaders, when he said that, picked up stones to kill him because they thought he was claiming to be God. And they were right. Jesus lived before he lived. Uh, Jesus said, Moses saw my day. <laughs> what? He talks as if he knows Moses personally. It's because he does. 1 Corinthians 10, 1-4 says this. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. Get this. And the rock was Christ. Who was with them? Jesus was with them. And I love what it says here. It says, all were baptized in Moses through the sea. Do you see that the Red Sea parting and the people walking through the water foreshadowed baptism? See that? And when we are baptized, what it shows is it shows that we're rescued by Christ. It's as if the baptized person, when they come up, has been delivered safely through the waters of death. It's as if you walked through on dry ground and you came out on the other side, never to die again. It's amazing. And so as we baptize people this morning, we're reenacting what God did. He rescued his people using the deliverer. And that deliverer was Christ. When you get baptized, what you're saying is this. I'm following Jesus through the waters of death and out of the land of slavery so he can settle me in the land of promise forever. That's the message of the Old and the New Testament. That is what Jesus came to do.